You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Jackie Lewis, and I am the host of Love Period, a podcast produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. This is our fourth season, and in this one, we're thinking about how to reframe and reclaim Christian as a religion of love, as the religion of Rabbi Jesus. What about if we took it back to Jesus and took it back to love? What if we take it back to scripture that elucidates this beautiful movement of love and justice? Join us this season for beautiful conversations with folks across the spectrum to talk about what's love got to do with scripture and what scripture got to do with love. Today, my guest is Teek Milan. Now, Teek is a member of our community. And sometimes I think, wow, the people who belong to Middle Church. He's a media maker, a journalist, an advisor, and an advocate in the LGBT community. A trans man whose voice really opens my heart. I think he'll open yours as well. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you, T. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm good. I'm hanging in there. I'm doing the best a- as I can these days, you know, so um, no complaints, really, too much. You and I know that though love, period, is the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Love God, love neighbor, love self. Love, right. period. You even... Tell me you have that tattooed on your chest. Yes, I do. Love, love, and period. love with a period at the end. Yeah, there I got that go. about 15 years ago. Yep. What, what has happened, Teek, such that your lived experience as a trans person, as a trans man, is like, first of all, anybody's business. And secondly, why have we lost our flipping minds around sexuality and gender in the church? Honey, let's just talk straight up about that. Yeah. What is that? That's, that's a good question. And I, I'm trying to figure that out, too, because the message, the message of Christ and the message of Christianity is just love. Right. Like that's that's what that's what God and Jesus wants wants from us is to live our life full, full of love and to be our best selves. Right. Exactly. And God gives us the, the space and the pathways to become our best selves. And I think that me being trans is a part of God's gift to me. It's me being my best self. It's you journeying fully to you, right? To fully, you, right, you. fully to us, right? Right. And God gives that to everybody. God does, and not when we get ready to get when we get out of the religious part of it, right? Growing up, my father used to tell me to read the Bible not as a Christian, but just as a human being. He said, right. "I want you to read these words as a human, and you take from it what works from you, works, for, and what doesn't work for you doesn't work for you." And one thing that I understood when I started to understand, like, the text of God, like, the like the real, like, spiritual essence of it, that it's all about how we can become our best and our most authentic selves. And I think that that journey that so many trans people are on is a journey for everybody, for cisgender people, for straight people. We all have a journey of gender. We all should have some intentionality towards what kind of human being we're going to be in the world. Trans people have been intentional about our humanity. And I think people who are really stuck in the religious and in, in the religion, the religiosity of a thing, but not necessarily the spirituality of, mm. of this life, see us defining ourselves for ourselves and says, no, 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 you can't do that because you are, you're, you're defined by something different. 
you're mm. defined by God. And yeah, but that definition is one of having like the openness and the expansiveness to be your best self. A part of that definition is saying that you have the will to be to, to be this beautiful, glorious person. And guess what? I made you into this beautiful, glorious person. But how you get there is on you. Ooh. And people is... don't understand that. So we're here we are being the, our most beautiful, most glorious, most authentic, most loving selves. And it looks like something that they could never do, that they can never be because your religion says X, Y, Z. So that's what I think it is. I think people just has this, has the idea of God screwed up. I don't, I don't believe in a God that is all full of vengeful and, 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 and judgment. I think of God as just, it's just love. God is just love. Just love. That's the, it. The, the, the double entendre of that, God as just love. Only love, but also just Just love. love. Right? Mm-hmm. Just love. Yeah. yeah. That's um, Middle's little moniker uh, uh, on our website, it, it, just love. And love, period, are the two phrases that we've claimed. Take as, I'm going to try to say, to simplify and also to make more complex the faith that we're called to be, right? Like, if, if we're called to love, to only love, love being like the non-possessive delight in the unique particularity of the other, right? The non-possessive delight in the unique particularity of the other. If I love you, Teak, and I love you, I want you to be fully you, authentically you, completely you. And I understand that God intends that for you as well, as me. And you were saying a bit ago, like, all of us are on a journey. I hope you take it the way I mean it. All of us are on a journey to our most complete full self, right? Straight people are on that journey. Queer people are on that journey. Trans people are on that journey. Is the church afraid? Is some parts of the church just afraid of the sexual part of our journey, period? The gender part of our journey, period? Is that what it is? I think so. You know, when we think about like gender as a social construct that it is, right? I think that the binary nature of gender is the social construct, right? Right. But the fact that there is a variety of genders is something that is real. But the reason that we have this binary system is as a way of creating an imbalance of power. Mm. And the church church gleans power from that imbalance, from the patriarchy, from 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 the gender imbalances. That is a part of what it means to be a part of a church, to be a church. And for for a lot of different churches. So I think that this idea of kind of chipping away at this patriarchal structure and chipping away at this binary system is starting to chip away at the power of the church. Mm. What some people like equate to the power of God, but it's not. It's two different things. Right. And I think isn't it in the Bible? Doesn't Jesus say something like don't. it says like worship the word, like don't worship me, but worship the word. Some, something, something to the event. Like it's not about the church; it's about the it's about the words that's coming out of my mouth. It's about the it's about the things that we're that, that we're saying. So I think that there's a place where this idea where we are getting away from this binary nature of gender um, and really talking expressively and openly about sex is giving more power to to the divinity of the human being instead of giving more power into like the social structures of the church. Amen. That's a whole word. That's a whole word. We think about um, y'all who are listening um, who will write me nasty notes if I just don't call God he. If I I call God she, I can step into all manners of mess. Because in (laughs) fact, that pronoun he is in the Bible. And that don't mess it up. There's a reason. Like, no, people, the reason that it's written as he is because some men wrote it. 
as he. And, and, And they wrote it as he, not even paying attention to their learnedness, right? Like the, the, take the word for Holy Spirit in Greek is pneuma, pneuma, like we get pneumonia from breath, right? Pneuma. Yeah. Yeah. And the word for spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. And the Aramaic is close to that. And all those words are, guess what? Feminine words. Feminine words, like Sophia, wisdom is a feminine word. So this, this kind of uh, power grab to even dismantle what's feminine in the so-called trinity. And I'm saying so-called trinity because none of us is there to see all the things, but the feminine nature that's built in to the trinity, um, as soon as you get a colonized church, which as soon as Rome makes it the state religion, right, Constantine, the, the, the papacy, the pope, the father, the, the Peter is the founder, and upon this rock, I'll build this church. And these women, these female-identified folks, these genderqueer folks, these girls can't even talk in church in some churches because the power, as you said so clearly, of the maleness cannot be disrupted with some girl stuff, some woman stuff. And this is a part of the reason why we're having this clash around like language. People don't want to, the pronouns and this, you know, people call us like, what do they call it? The alphabet mafia, LGBT, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're constantly expanding and we're right. making up words. But all, first off, all words are made up. And even in the Bible it says, in the beginning was the word and the word is God, right? So the words that we speak hold so much power. The language that 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 we speak and that we breathe and that we ingest. So this power of language, we see that in the Bible. We see that people not wanting to refer to God as anything but He, because we understand that that the that the word is what creates truth and what creates life. And so if we start to expand this language to start to understand like God and like the spirit of this universe as something other than masculine, other than male. Where we're giving some, we're giving power to something other than that. It all gets down to that, and that's the thing about like patriarchy. That's kind of infused into everything that we do. It really, it's a detriment to everybody involved. You know, it really is. I think it's right. I think it causes. You know, I just lost my dad as we record this. He died about about you know four weeks ago, and you know, I think about uh, a couple couple of the comments my brothers made. You know, in the Place where we were honoring dad at, at his funeral. And, and they, you know, they said, Dad taught us, you know, men don't cry. And truly, he said that, but he also would cry at the drop of a hat. Like if you didn't send his birthday card on time, if you, you know, if you bought him some present he thought you hadn't spent some time on, he was a very tender, sensitive person, but also kind of passing along to his boys, his sons, what had been passed along to him, T. So there's a way in which, um, and I want to be particular about uh, black culture, because you and I are both black uh, today, African-American culture, that we have also, in many ways, drunk the Kool-Aid of the patriarchy. Oh, my God, yes. And that oh. just makes me want to cry, because if you're in West Africa, if you're in Africa, you know, this, this, the, the, the gender conversations are different than here. So talk to me about your, if you don't mind, love, if you don't mind being particular about your experience. I mean, you are just lovely. You are so gifted and, uh, and thoughtful and bright and gorgeous, by the way, also, just to let y'all know. <laughs> I can't see it on a podcast. 
But T, do you feel comfortable at all talking a bit about your journey, your trans journey, and how you knew and how you got to this place where you're sitting in all your beautiful realness? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, that's where to start. Um, well, first, I think I think it's important for people to know that, like, the trans, the journey of being a trans person isn't a monolithic experience, right? right. It looks different for everybody. Yeah. I didn't know that I was trans when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't start mm-hmm. my. I'm in my forties now. I didn't start. I didn't start my my medical transition until I was in my twenties. But I do remember when I was seven years old, my mother had bought me a, a strawberry shortcake bicycle. Ah. And it was like it had the pink banana seed and it had <laughs> apples and yeah. little strawberry stickers all over it. You know, and I didn't know that I was trans then, but I looked at that bike and I knew there wasn't a chance in hell I was right. <laughs> you were not getting on the pink I said, bike. I, yeah, I said, I don't know this, <laughs> but I ain't riding this bike <laughs> nowhere in this neighborhood, you know? So, you know, so I told my dad, my dad took it back and he got me the mongoose, the black mongoose, uh-huh. racing stripes on it and the lightning bolts, you know, and it had the, the bar across like the boy yeah. bikes, you yeah. know. So for me growing up, I was always that a masculine like little girl and a tomboy. And my parents never really, they never forced it. You know, my mother would buy me a doll. And my dad was like, she's just going to throw a football at it. I don't even know why. <laughs> why waste the money? <laughs> All right, let's just get this child what this child wants, right? Yeah. So growing up, I did not have the language or an understanding of transness. Growing up in, in a black working class household, my mother was a nurse. My dad was a mechanic. That was nothing in the 80s and 90s. That wasn't even a thing. That wasn't a part of our world. What was a part of our world was acceptance. They didn't, my parents didn't force me to look any kind of way or to do any kind of thing. They never got on me about the fact that I just like Transformers and, you know, video games and I wanted to play football with the boys. You know, they didn't, they just let me be me. They let you be you. Let's underscore that. Yeah. That's a gift. Wow. It really, it really is. And also, I think a part of it is that I didn't grow up in a very religious household. I really did. We grew up Seventh-day Adventist, uh, but my grandmother died of breast cancer when I was seven, and they caught the cancer early enough for her to have surgery. She decided that God was going to heal her. Oh, and did no. not have no surgery, and she died. Oh. And after that, my mother told us, she said, we don't ever have to step foot in the church if we don't want to, because she was just so... My mother was just over a church after after that. Right? Oh my Her goodness! My mom died. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, so I didn't grow up in a really religious household. My father, my father's a very spiritual man. He's read the Bible, the Quran, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So uh, uh, scrolls. He's very, you know, he's very, he's that kind of guy, but not very Christian, not very like religious. So I think that that helped raise me into into a family of of acceptance. So, so growing up, I really did have that that foundation. And I think also another thing that allowed me to to be my trans my my trans self is that when, when I came out to my dad as gay when I was a, a teenager, one of the things that my father said to me that I carry me to this day is he said, you know, it's not my job to teach you who you are. You're going to tell me who you are. I'm going to tell you how to be in this world. I'm going to teach you how to be strong and to be a person of integrity and to be honest and have confidence. That's what I'm going to teach you, but you're going to tell me who you are. So I was, I was given a foundation that, you know, you know, when we love you, there is no but after that. We are going to love regardless. So that set a, a really strong foundation of acceptance and like an expansiveness for me to start to try to understand myself as a masculine person. And then when I moved here to New York City about 21 years ago, I met this trans guy and when I met him, I didn't know he was trans and he told me and it was like a light bulb. And I was like, holy, this is what it is. 
this is who I am. So it was like that model of possibility that really let me know. And then that's when I started my my medical uh, transition, my medical legal transition here in New York. And then eventually came out to my to my family and you know, the rest is history. You know, it's been a it's been a really it's been a really great, great journey. I really have to to say that. I am so glad for your parents. I'm so glad for a container, an environment of acceptance. I wish that for more families. Um, thinking about a movie for the Bible tells me so, and the follow-up to that, I can't remember exactly the name of that title, but where these queer children growing up in churchy families, not all the churchy families, but growing up in these churchy families where there's so much judgment and so much hatred, um, that the kids, you know, are, are suicidal or they run away or they jump off, you know, buildings and stuff. Like, they would rather die than to live in a world where they can't be true to themselves. Mm-hmm. And where they can't be loved. And that's why love is so important. Like, I've worked part of my career, at the beginning of my career, I worked with youth for, long, for many, many years, LGBT youth. And let me tell you, Rev, the kids that were the worst off, the ones who were making the worst decisions, the ones who were homeless on drugs, the ones who were suffering from mental health issues were the ones who lacked love. They were the kids who were judged, who were ostracized by their parents, who were belittled, who were abused by their parents or by their loved ones because they were queer. So it's it, like I can't emphasize enough, even though like, you know, love is this thing that we may not necessarily understand or sometimes people feel it's corny or it's cliche, but it's real. It is and real. It's thing that can save people's lives. You know, and it's and it's and if I didn't have the family that I had, I wouldn't literally I would not be here. Not the version of this, my, the self that you see now, not this really like thriving, successful, happy version of a trans man you see today. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the love of my family. And I try to emphasize that to people enough. If there's nothing else you do, but love that queer kid that's in your family, that trans kid, that quote black sheep, somebody love on that person because it's that love that you give them could save their lives. And I, I saw it day in and day out. That's what saved a lot of those young queer kids. Even the ones who were from families with like, you know, drug addicts and, and they didn't have a lot of money, but if they had love, they were all right. They were still okay. Those kids turned out to be okay. If we have love. If, if we, we but love. only have love. Teak, that is everything. But the thing is, and love is something that we all got to give. That's right. We all got it to give. And it costs you nothing. It's free. It's free. thinking about um, all the ways that that too many parts of the church, and I'm a professional Christian since I'm mm-hmm. a preacher, uh, <laughs> universalist though, right? Always definitely there's more than one path to God. All, lead, all paths lead to love. Yeah. I don't fully understand, um, especially when we're thinking about text, one of the most important scriptures in all of the scripture is God is love. It, this is First John 4, the people who like to look up scriptures. God is love, and those who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Like This is my North Star. God is love. This is written by the Johannine community. We don't know if it was really John, but this community was trafficking in love. This, What does it mean? Love. Love God, love neighbor, love self. 
if you love, God lives in you. That's what it says, teach. If you love, when you love, everywhere the love is, God is. Now, out in the world of Christian white nationalist crap right now, everybody's a target of hate from, from this kind of Christianity. Not just trans folks, not just queer folks, black folks, Latinx folks, immigrant folks, Jewish folks, women, <laughs> you know? Everybody. I, I would say anybody who's pregnant, you know, and, and, and doesn't think they should keep the pregnancy. Like, how so much hate in the name of God? How so much hate in the name of God? How did this happen? I mean, I just, what do you think? I think about that all the time. You know, and there's ways in which, because I, I was having conversations with people on Twitter about this. And there was this young man, he was talking about he was a warrior for God. And he looked, and I'm looking at his face. He had tears, like he was serious. Right. This man was serious. He's like, I, God is a warrior. And and like, you know, God is 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 the military. And so I'm of God. And so I'm like, where is this coming from? And so some people are saying that there's a, there's a ways in which people interpret the text. And something in the Bible where people are looking at God as, as a warrior as someone who was fighting against so I, so I think that that is that's like that's the framing that people have that know that, that that not that God is love but that God is of war that God is about just that God is angry and that you you're, you're making God angry because of these th- little pieces that I want to cherry pick here and there but not looking at the overarching idea of the text and the scriptures particularly the words of Jesus Christ is that of love and, accept- and acceptance right so people are going to bypass that passage in John to go towards the passage where they talk about God who is vengeful or smite thee down. Who smite thee The smiting, the, people, people the smiting God. Yeah, yeah, the smiting God. The smiting I was getting all God. kinds of smitings, all kinds of smiting texts <laughs> thrown at me. There's all kinds of smitings. You know? You, know, you know, whereas theology is kind of like a living uh, language, right? I mean, when I was a younger Christian, I used to say, I'm looking for a grown-up God. And, and, and what I meant by that is, I want to get out of the binary God. You're good, you're bad. You're going to hell, you're going to heaven. I'm going to spank you. I'm going to, you know, beat your tail. Like that, that's the kind of concrete thinking that children have, right? Like it's yes, no, good, bad, angels, devils, right? So I was thinking, maybe if we get a grown-up God, we can have some nuance, right? And some, but in a way, Teak, now I think I would say, Actually, I'm looking for a regressed God. I'm looking for the simplicity of, I love you, you are mine, let's go. Like, I love you, I made you, I love all the people, and we're going to make a healed world together. To me, that's actually regressed, if you will, back to the simple beginning of time where we think a God of love created the universe out of love in love, right? To be a partner to that God in the universe. Like I'm, I'm for that now. I'm for what's the simplest text that explains my faith, love. Yeah, but you know, I think for some people, a simplified God really makes their makes their bigotry more complex. And that's the mm. thing: people use God as a way of simplifying their bigotry. Like, yeah, like yeah, I don't, you know, I don't like gays. I don't like black people. I don't think that women should have equal rights. And be, and I could do it because because it says here in the text X Y Z. Right? But if we said no, no, God is just love. 
Well, then now, now they have to really sit with their own bigotry. Now they have to sit with, with that and start to understand, like, where is it? this isn't coming from something that is okay with you by your God. This is something that is more a reflection of your own insecurities and your own shortcomings than it is about these people that you so-called hate. People aren't ready to sit there and really do that work. Because when you understand God as something simple as love, then that means it makes you have to sit with the, compl- with the, with the complexity of your humanity. Right. The simplified version of our divinity is that we have a core of love. Right. And if we live and we let that and if we live in that core, it makes our lives better. Let me tell you, as a queer and trans person, I tell people this all the time as where I, you know, just rejoined the church, joined your church a few years ago, being away from the church for a long time as a spiritual man. But what I also understand is that my transness and my queerness makes me closer to God. It is my gift. It's been a gift to me. I'm coming to the best version of myself. I feel more confident. I feel more beautiful. I feel smart. I feel present in this life because I get to be the man that I need to be. And that's because I'm trans. And my queerness has brought me to a place where I can start to define myself for myself. When I got to start my humanity, just a clear slate and say, say, what does my gender and my humanity look like that's tethered to my spirit? And it's not connected to what everybody thinks I'm supposed to be what I'm supposed to be. And that's the thing. A lot of people need to, they need something else to define themselves. So maybe they need their Christianity. Maybe they need like all of these ideas. About, I think about masculinity all the time. Being a man and masculine in the world, the blueprints that I've gotten is that you are a man, you're masculine because of everything that you can possess, of those that you think you're better than, of who you compete against, okay? Of you think you have dominion over, right? So you're only a man in relationship to other things. But as a trans and queer man, I say, I don't want none of that. How do I define me for me? That is God's gift to me. That's a gift. And I think that we all need to, you don't have to be a trans person. You don't have to be a queer person to really like, to really dive into the gift that God gave you, which is the gift of exploring and intentionality around your humanity. That ain't nothing but God working. Oof. Tick, you're going to come to church and preach that. <laughs> We, we just wrote you a note that's not <laughs> yet in your box, but trans awareness, come on and yeah. say those words. What a beautiful thing to say that our, your particular, you know, queer trans man journey is a gift. But then also all of ours, all of our becoming human, all of our becoming human mm-hmm. is a gift from God, an opportunity to be close to God, to be revealed in God, to revel in God, to have God reveal God's self to us. Yeah. And people think that they're doing it by saying like, you know, like you said, like being this human being brings you closer to God. But people look at the text and say, well, God says I have to be this, this and this. So I have to be this type of human being, even though this have to be kind of human being is like antithetical to how they fear something is not steady. There's a miscongruence in there deepen in their spirit because this how they're supposed to be isn't necessarily lined up with who they actually are. And they don't step outside of these little boxes that they think that God and the Bible had put forth for them to really explore their humanity. But when you break out of that, that's where you really get into get closer to God and away from the religion of it. True religion is binding ourselves to our most authentic self. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I think queerness is a blueprint for a better future. Because what queer people and trans people have had to do is had to bind ourselves to our best, to our the most authentic version of ourselves, even in the face of losing everybody in the world that we thought loved us. We all had to do that. Like that is a that is a journey. That's that's the spirit working in you. Ooh, I feel a chill. 
When, when I'm in a room, you know, at our conference last year, I got into a little bit of trouble. I was trying to be helpful, but I think I stepped a little bit in some stuff because I'm human. I can't help it. <laughs> but I was sitting on, the, sitting on the stage talking to Frederick Joseph, uh-huh. uh, who I just love him so much. He's amazing. And, um, and uh, uh, another one of our colleagues, Nadia Boltz-Weber. So that was an interesting panel, a mashup. But we were sitting there, and I think Frederick said something like, talking about queer and journeys, and he said something like, I always feel the maleness of you, Jackie. And I said, I'm so glad you do. <laughs> because it's in there, right? And I'm like, woo, look at you, perception. And, and what I meant, y'all who are listening, isn't that I'm trans, but I meant in that Greek anima, animus, you know, the mm-hmm. male femaleness, Clearly to me as a child growing up, I felt like I was being taught to be my mother's daughter yeah, and taught to be one of my father's sons. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Right? And How? I, well, the mom thing, right? Obviously, like I'm the oldest girl, oldest child for a long time. We had a half-brother come live with us later, but... As the oldest girl, like you're cooking, you're baking, you're watching the kiddos, you know, you're doing these traditionally feminine roles. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But before our half-brother came, I was the oldest boy in a way. So I was also being taught how to use a screwdriver and how to change a tire and how to play football. I played football when I was at Northwestern. I played flag ball and my father would bring my brothers to watch me play football, right? I was being taught how to shoot hoops. So there was a way in which my dad was sort of making a, his legacy in me as well. Wow. Does that make sense? So yes. It was, so to wrap that crazy story up just a little bit, now we're at my dad's dying time. You know, he died of ALS and it was really rough. And a couple of my, my younger brothers and I were really doing a lot of work together. Me from here, them from there. And a couple of conversations we had where I, maybe like I'm teased them, you know, I say some manly type stuff, like in quotes, right? Like, like you better go home and get some medicine, aren't you, from your woman or whatever. Like <laughs> and, and, they, and they would take that and say yeah. back to me, You've always been an honorary boy in the family. Now, interesting. Teak. Interesting. So, what has happened to me at my age, sixty um, something? Uh huh. I really do feel comfortable with my feminine energy and my male energy, right? It, it's here. It's like, there's no reason to pretend like it's not here. And it's not like just superficial, like, did you like the football game or that? I'm right, saying right. it's deep inside my soul is an inner dad, right? And an inner mom. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And I definitely have that too. And I think that there was a, there's a time in my life now, this big age of, you know, 40 something. Yes. You know, I've got, <laughs> you know, but they say you, you give, you, you have less, less F's to give as you get older. Right? Absolutely. Less and F's. I, yeah, definitely less F's. <laughs> You know, as I was older, you know, and I realized that I don't fight against that that feminine energy that I have or maybe that feminine urge or whatever that is. I just let it flow because I know that that's a part. It is a part of my masculinity. It's a part of my manhood. Right. That that feminine part that flows through me. And the thing is, is that, you know, that, OK, so let me just backtrack. So when I was transitioning as a trans person, one of the hardest parts about transitioning was like the social part. Like the medical part was easy living in New York, get some hormones, easy. Change my name, easy. 
dealing with my family, you know, I was blessed. It was fairly easy. It was, you know, I always say that my trans story is a love story. It's not a story of a bunch of like resilience and abandonment. It's not that at all. Right. But the challenge I had was like, what does it mean to be a man in the world? Like, how do I like socially, what does that, what does that look like? So I'm always looking at these blueprints and I was looking at blueprints from straight heterosexual men and the blueprints they were giving me for masculinity. I was like, this is off. This is crap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that. (laughs) Like, I'm not doing that because a lot of it was, you know, you know, underlying was just like running away from that feminine energy that you had and doing anything that you can to beat that out of you, right? Or let somebody else beat it out of you. And I said, you know, this is me drinking the Kool-Aid because I, I came out when I was 14. I came out as a lesbian when I was 14. I came out as trans when I was 24. I'm in my 40s now. I've spent my basically my whole life in queer community. And I said, actually, these are where the blueprints are. These are the blueprints of really solid masculinity that I could get from the butch women that I know. Okay. The gay men that I know. Uh-huh. Right? And yeah. all within those versions of masculinity, there was an undercurrent of femininity that wasn't necessarily tried to knock back, but it was one that we allowed to kind of just run, the, the, just, you know, to run with the masculinity kind of in tandem like this. So I had to start to, a light bulb came off and I said, I'm doing all this talking around blueprints and around being a good man. And here I am. I'm not taking my own advice. So I had to really start to look at queer community and see like how masculinity and femininity flowed and how it sometimes came together and say like, that's okay. And and, and to allow it to show up in my life, however it shows up because nobody can, because, and again, my masculinity belongs to me. Can nobody take it away from me? I don't believe in this idea of being emasculated. What does that even mean? How, how can someone, how can you take it from me? I am so on fire with this conversation. I'm like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, like letting letting it flow through you, letting the energies that are you flow through you, run alongside you, be a part of you, own them, claim them. I think people are afraid, Teek, of if you're being taught that girls are stinky and shouldn't talk and they bleed and blah, 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 and then suddenly you're feeling some feminineness in yourself and you've been taught to hate it, then you hate yourself, right? But if you just can like love all the pieces and parts, Psalm 139, I was having a bad, I was having a bad time when I was about 20, 25 or so and just break up relationship and living in California and having wildlife and like drinking too much and just, well, bad, bad, like a wild, wild lift, wilding time, <laughs> a wilding time. time in the wilderness, I would say. <laughs> uh-huh. And my boss was a Christian and told me that I needed to read the Bible more. And I was like, oh, okay. Sure, but what? And he, he, first thing he said was Psalm 139. So, Teek, you know, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, you know my lying down and my rising up. You know, these are just some pieces of it. Like, uh, it, before I speak, you know what's on my tongue. Is, is there any place I can go from your spirit? If I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I say I'm going to run to the far end of the earth, even there, your right hand will claim me. Whew. And then this place of being fearfully and awesomely made. Like, I, I praise you that I'm fearfully and awesomely made. I want to just wrap by saying, you are so damn fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you so I just much. am so glad you're a part of my community. Yes, I'm so glad for this conversation. And I want to do more together to help to help other people to find their joy and find their way. Yes. 
Yes, we should. We should. Thank you, Teek. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. And I appreciate everything you do. And um, I appreciate having you as my pastor at my church. You've really been instrumental in bringing me closer to God and closer to the church and kind of back into a place that feels good and familiar. And it was, and it was because of you. My cousin Olive brought me to homecoming. Uh, <laughs> that, was it, that was it. Where is Olive? I have not seen that girl singing in a minute. I know she she's still around. She's still around. Yeah, she's far out in Brooklyn. She moved far out in Brooklyn, but she's around. I'm giving a stalker. Don't I stalk people. <laughs> you, I stalk people. you tell her hey, okay? No, I will. Thank you, Teek. Teek Milan, everybody. Yes, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Love Period and my conversation with Teek Milan. You know, I feel like he brings the word. And what I mean by that is the word that is love, the word that anchors our identity in God, in Theos, his theology, his philosophy, his joy, captivating. What are you going to do about your identity? I hope you find it in love. Period.